This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. Today, we've got the pleasure of having Tim Davidson with us. And Tim is the Senior Director of Marketing at Directive. And if you have not seen Tim cutting exotic fruit on video on LinkedIn, you're probably living under a rock. So we're going to talk about uh, creators and B2B, influencer marketing, whatever you want to call it. Tim, welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am very excited. Um, Actually, I mean, speaking of exotic fruit, I found out about dragon fruit from that. So, <laughs> so before we get into the, the the topic at hand, if you will, I, do you just random? How does this work? You just walk into like a, a Whole Foods and pick up a random fruit you've never seen before and say, "I wonder how I how I cut this." <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I've always liked fruit, right? Um, but so I did start off with just kiwis just because I like them a lot, um, and I just how so actually I live in upstate New York. Uh, it's very similar to the Whole Foods. It's called Wegmans. Um, I just get now. I just go into those sections. And I just start looking at the fruit and it just what what the ones colorful, different. Um, I've done pineapple. That's like an obvious one. But now I'm just like exploring. And there's some fruits like star fruit that I did not like, and I was surprised. I was going to say that one. Yeah. Do, do people do people at the stores see you as like the weird fruit guy, or? Are you just no? I think just, okay. <laughs> I don't even notice. I'm not. I don't buy that much fruit. It's not like I'm coming up with like a yeah. huge thing. <laughs> all mm-hmm. right, all right. Speaking of fruit, I just purchased a a juicer, like a cold press juicer. Mm. We moved to Arizona. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We we have a we have a citrus fruit trees. We have key limes, oh, lemons, that's... and oranges in our property. We did not plant them. They were here when we got here. And we're like, oh my God, how, what are we going to do with all this fruit? So I said, okay, we're going to juice. And so oh, once nice. a week we start to, we juice and Mike hates it, but he enjoys the, the fruits of the labor afterwards. No pun intended. It's just a lot more work than I thought. Just, anyway, whatever. We're not here to talk about juice. We're not here to talk about fruit. Um, we're here to talk about the fact that B2B doesn't have to be boring. And that is not my line, everyone. That is Tim Davidson's line. So Tim, you believe that B2B content or just B2B in general doesn't have to be boring. I would strongly agree with that. I think we both strongly agree with that. So tell us a little bit about, set the stage for us. What are we talking about today? What is your case study? What are we going to be diving into? Yeah, so so Mike mentioned, uh, you know, B2B, however you want, again, however you want to call it, B2B influencer marketing. Um, and it does kind of stem from the B2B is boring slogan, I guess you can say, because um, most of B2B is pretty boring. We all know that. Um, but people typically aren't, and if, you know, especially when they have uh, a personal brand or they're, you know, quote unquote, the influencer person that has influence on, uh, you know, your buyers, they typically have an influence and have this following because they're different. It doesn't technically mean that they're not boring, but they're different, which is huge, which is very, it's actually a very low bar in B2B. Um, but when it comes to like the B2B influencer part, uh, it's a very, it's been a very interesting thing to see in the last couple of years. Um, it's really not even, not even here in B2B yet. It's still trying to get there. Um, and there's, there's tons of ways to do it, right? Uh, there's, you know, hiring someone that already has that kind of 
following that influence, uh, then you kind of just, you, you, pro- you already get that kind of mirage, not mirage, but uh, that kind of celebrity status, I guess. Um, and there's also partnering with content creators, people that have influence, um, ask them to either, you know, demo your product or be a part of a content creation or just even just like this, creating, having a podcast together, building that relationship. Um, yeah. And, and to just to put some numbers to it, um, I'm in a different space where I didn't have any influence. When I started working at Directive, um, but I started building my personal brand, mostly on LinkedIn and then TikTok and now I'm trying other places too. Um, but as I've been doing that, it's just very interesting to see the dynamic change of people that are coming to us and saying, you know, I saw Tim's content on this, or I saw Tim on this podcast or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of different ways that comes. Um, but you know, as of right now, we've had over 500,000 in new business revenue, uh, just from people seeing me first and then coming to us. Um, and then the pipeline, I, it's over, it's, it's about 900,000 now. And then uh, there's other, and this is all direct attributed. I can't really attribute everything. It's impossible. Um, but then even more important in my mind is just hearing our customers talk about things or hearing in sales calls, oh, I saw Tim's video about this. And that was, and then now the, our sales team doesn't have to answer that question anymore. Mm-hmm. That's, that's more interesting mm-hmm. to me, um, just to see that kind of dynamic. Um, but I think that's, and obviously it's not just me, that's happening all over the place. And you're seeing that shift where there's a lot of value in people with those influences, people that can, can create content that's different, that's not boring. Amazing. Let's talk a little bit about mindsets, because I think my, you know, coming into this idea of, of being a creator is a, is a big mindset shift. And I think, Tim, you mentioned earlier that you didn't you were, you didn't have a presence. You didn't have a, a strong personal brand. You didn't. Maybe this was because you didn't have the mindset or maybe because you were in a company that didn't support it. Um, or it just wasn't something that maybe occurred to you at the time. But what was a big mindset shift for you when you kind of put the stake in the ground and said, you know what, I want to build my personal brand. What what needed to shift for you to be able to do that? Yeah. Uh, so to me, it actually just comes down to, so I actually have a track record of trying things. And this has been seven years now. I remember creating a couple of YouTube videos. Um, actually, I put the, so I played the cross for a while and I got like a GoPro and I did like created videos like that. Did it for like a month, didn't see much tracking, quit. And then even just on LinkedIn specifically, in 2018, I started posting for like a month, quit. And then a year later, started posting for like a month, quit. And then the third time around, I finally stuck with it. And I think it was because I saw some traction, but also the mindset cha- my mindset changed because I wasn't just looking for like those big numbers, like big engagement numbers or impressions or anything like that. I didn't have a lot of that, but I did have someone DM me on LinkedIn and say, you know, I have a question about this. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm, they're coming to me because I, they saw a post about me talking about something that now I'm in their, in their mind, I'm an expert. And that was just for like a month of posting. So that was very interesting to me. So it really shifted my mind on, I don't need to think about the numbers, right? Like, yeah, those things, don't get me wrong. Like you want, you need to reach first. You need that. But the impressions are less important because you can start seeing the DMs and now, and then you start seeing the 
the ability to talk to people that you weren't able to before because they saw your content. And that's yeah. what's even more interesting in a different mindset changes that mindset of you don't need the numbers. It's really about like, sounds corny, but like building the relationships or building the yeah. credibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's and I, think corny. I mean, everything we talk about is all about building relationships. So we, yeah. we get it. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, do you want to finish your thought, Mike, or do you have some, you have some uh, else? I was going to go, if you have a follow-up, go for it. Cause I was going to slightly shift, uh, Topic. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, so often, Tim, I think, <clears throat> and, and I would include myself in this category as well, because it took me and Mike a long time to really commit to saying, you know what, we really got to start posting on LinkedIn. And I, I don't know if I would consider myself like a content creator, you know, what is a content creator, right? I mean, I think the term is still a little nebulous, still a little, um, you know, being figured out by so many. Um, but the mindset that I often see with, with particularly clients, um, sometimes a little bit on the employee side as well, it's like, well, what do I have to say? What, who's going to listen to me? Who's going to care? Um, I don't have time for this. Um, is it really going to make a difference? What's the impact? What's the value? You know, how would you, I mean, have two part question, have you experienced that with either peers or clients? And what is the mindset shift that, that you think they need to make or that you've maybe coached them on to flip that thinking and say, you know what, even if I've got low numbers, even if I don't have a ton of engagement, I'm still going to commit to posting three times a week. And I'm going to share about, you know, my job, my role, my expertise, you know, what, what have you seen in that regard? What have you done to help people get over that negative mindset? Yeah, that's such a huge point you bring up because that's that's pretty much, you always hear the common um, excuses on why not, why not to do it. And I have the same uh, thoughts as well. It's like, do people really care about this? Am I saying the same thing everyone else is saying? Now, let me be clear. Go through LinkedIn. There's nothing you can say that's going to be different than anyone else. People, all, all people talk about the same stuff lead gen versus demand gen, you know, and just like the buying process or, you know, paid ads, whatever it is. But you're, the way you put the spin on it is what you need to do. Right. Um, now that's harder for some people than others to, to understand that. Um, but those are, you, you always hear the same kind of objectives, but you really do need to just, it sounds silly, but do it. You, you really need to just post it because if no one sees it, no one's going to see it anyway. Right. Why if it that? sucks, like if the tree falls in the forest and nobody hears, right, doesn't matter. I mean, and I think we've all had a few duds, right, where we share something and it's like crickets, <laughs> you know, no likes, no comments, absolutely nothing. And you learn from the, you know, you learn from those, you learn from those ones. And, and uh, yeah, no, great. I think that's the best advice that we can give people here on the show is like, if you're struggling with this, just do it. Just get it out there. And that's how you learn. That's how you right? Not every, not every uh, song is a one hit wonder. So yeah, you just got to do it. And you said something interesting in terms of, you know, uh, whatever you're going to say has technically been said. And I sort of think about, I don't know if it's differently, but I, one of the, so I didn't say this, by the way, I'm paraphrasing a, an interview. Uh, I listened to totally not in the marketing space whatsoever, but, uh, the subject of like thought leadership came up and the guy being interviewed kind of said, you know, if you're looking for experts, avoid the people that talk in 
absolutes and look for the people that talk about nuance. And I think you definitely do see a lot of like the really high level stuff. Everybody says the same thing. Yeah. But oh, it's yeah. that, it, it, it's that nuance. And if you've been in any given field for a long enough time, you have the expertise to talk about the nuance, right? There's a lot of hacks and fakers out there. I would say that can't. And I think that's in my mind, at least that's what differentiates the, again, that expert from the uh, novice, if you will. And then from a creator perspective, it's how can you make that nuance interesting? Because a lot of the time nuance is boring. Yeah. No, that's, that's completely true. And actually that's, that's probably one of the best ways to see longevity is if you don't look to just put out this expertise, you can't just put out expertise all the time. You need to, well, you should be. And I think some of my best posts are actually just learnings from things I failed at, like tests I've tried that just failed or things that we spent money on that just completely failed. Um, and like what you learned from that or like how you're going to do it different. I think there's a huge gap even right now on people that are early on in their career, just sharing their, how they're learning, how they're asking questions, what they're uh, seeing as a new person. Cause a lot of, you know, if you've been doing it for years, you start to get into your, your own ways and you don't see everything as a new person. Some there's actually a lot of uh, value in that, but if you can just show all you need to do is just share your expertise. No, sorry, not expertise. All you need to do is just share your experiences. And that's where you're going to actually be able to see it long, long term. And, and that's, you brought up earlier, or someone mentioned earlier, or just decide on like, all right, three times a week or something like that. That's actually not a big part of why people felt a drop out of it is they do it every day for a week, for like a month. And then they stop. If you do it, three times a week. I don't care if you do it once a week, as long as you keep with it, you'll start learning and you'll learn faster because you'll get that feedback. And over time, over time, it's really just who stays longer. Cause if you keep doing it, you should, and if you keep doing it and you don't innovate on it, it's not gonna go anywhere. But if you keep doing it, you innovate on it, you learn from what's working, what's not, you will win. And whatever aspect that is, but you just got to keep with it over and yeah. over and over. So, we talked about, um, you know, mindsets from a personal perspective. I'm curious on your thoughts on, let's say you are a marketing leader in an organization, VP marketing, CMO or something. And wh what mindsets do you need to have to build that into your strategy in terms of either hiring creators or partnering with creators? You know, I mean, we see this with, you know, like, whatever Airmeet is doing their creator studio. I mean, uh, uh, you see companies like Lavender hiring uh, creators and community uh, uh, people, things like that. As, a, as again, let's, let's say, let's pretend you're the CMO of an organization and you want to go that route. What, are, what mindsets do you got to have to, to make that successful? The truth is you have to get it. You have to understand that it isn't all just, you know, lead generation isn't all just everything's attributable. You have to understand that community aspect, right? Like, like you mentioned, Lavender and Airmeet. Nick Bennett went to Airmeet. He had a thousand people congratulate him on him going to Airmeet. He's DM'd tons of people and been on their webinars, and they're getting a bunch of people that Nick Bennett was already built a community around to their company. Airmeet is probably seeing that already. 
right? Because Nick has a pretty decent following. So there is like different levels, right? If you have like, like if you, I mean, if you hire Dave Gerhardt, you're going to get instant buying, right? And that, that's going to be a lot easier for the CMO to understand. But if you get someone that's a little smaller, uh, you have to understand the community level of it. Um, I, I don't want to be, I just, I, the truth is they do have to understand marketing and not just like the lead gen part of it. They have to understand the brand and community aspect of it. But the mindset really does come down to long-term thinking and understanding the community part of it. Yeah. Because these influencers, the people with the followings, it's not, it's the community part that's the most important um, because the ones with the big followings, again, you have to kind of weed that out because some of them are just fake and they're just spewing out Tony Robbins quotes and people <laughs> love that for whatever reason. But I, I don't get it. I, I mean, you, you do see it. I mean, there are Tony Robbins of, and Simon million... Yeah. I, I love Simon Tony Sinek. Robbins and Simon Sinek yeah. and whatever else. Yeah. I, I love his content, but I'm like, I know it's not him writing that shit. It's 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 his PR person, right? And they just take the quotes out of his out of his TED Talks and out of his books, you know? Um, and that, 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 that stuff gets me so riled up on LinkedIn. Cause it's like, you see those posts that have like a hundred thousand likes and 30,000 reposts. And it's like, guys, he, he didn't actually sit down at the computer to write this, you know, he, and maybe he did, maybe he did, you know, what? let's yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. But there are a lot of other content creators or just thought leaders or however you, whatever you want to categorize them. That are that may not have that same cachet or or PR team engine behind them, but they're creating consistently really high valuable content out there. They're entertaining, they're educating um, their their network, um, and I would consider you one of them because I always get a tremendous chuckle, and and like the light bulbs come on every time I see your content, um, and and you're and you're constantly pushing the the, the envelope in the sense that. I, I don't see a ton of overlap in your content. There's a lot of congruity, if that's a word. Is that a word? I don't know. Con congruency, I think. Congruency. There you go. Congruency. Yeah. Congru there's a lot of con congruency in your content, but there's not a lot of like repeat or overlap. So one of the questions that I had for you is, what is the mindset that you need as a content creator to constantly come up with new ideas? You know, how do you come up with new ideas? How are you keeping your content fresh and relevant, but also congruent? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I'll give it, I'll give you my, my, what I do. Um, and then I'll go into like what I've seen others do as well. Uh, that I think is very important. Um, so from in, in the truth is I'm pretty good at connecting things. I think I've just learned that over time. So like I'll, con I'll look, go through TikTok and I'll see maybe, um, a comedic make a skit or like an SNL skit or just, it's not, it's usually not SNL. It's just like some kind of content creator on TikTok. And it's like a B2C thing. And they're just talking about something. I can, I can usually look at that. If I laugh, I'm saving it. And I'll say, okay, how can I make that to my, what I talk about? And then I'll try to make the skit similar, but in my world. Right. Like, so I, one of the videos I put out that people liked um, a lot was if uh, B2B buyers were honest, I was just honest. I was basically me and talking to myself and sales. Uh, and I was just saying what buyers are really honest about. I got that from a skit on 
TikTok where someone was saying if Amazon was honest or something like it was something like that. And they were just kind of being honest on the, the, the skit. So I took that, made those points, and then, you know, created the content from that. Uh, so I do a lot of connecting. Yeah. Uh, I do that a lot. And that comes back to also consuming contents because you can learn from that. You got to think about how you're going to learn from that. Um, but also, I also just put out things that I'm doing or been a part of. It's not yeah. always expertise. Maybe it comes off as expertise, but it's really just like so, <laughs> there's probably 30% of my posts are just like, a meeting I just had where I was like, that's ridiculous. Let me create some content about that because it doesn't make sense. And I have great employer that is, oh, they will laugh at my stuff. They're completely cool with my personal brand. Um, so I will never get in trouble even if I go against stuff that they don't believe in. Um, but the mindset that I've seen where people are very consistent um, is that it really is the consistency and Sometimes you, you know, they'll put out something that's not to the expertise or to the things that they usually talk about. Maybe it's just like a small line or a joke or like, a, you know, something but that consistency is very important because then you get the feedback and then you can learn from that stuff. Cause as you keep doing it, you'll get feedback in the comments, you'll get feedback from people, which will stem more content ideas. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned two things that I want to reiterate because I think they're really valuable and we've heard them on the show before. One is looking at B2C, um, you know, marketing and content and just the B2C world. Um, a few episodes, many episodes ago, we had Udi Lettergore, CMO at Gong, and he said the same thing. You know, I asked him, hey, where do you get your inspiration? And he listed out all these B2C brands. And he's like, that's that's where I'm getting my inspiration. So I think it's a really valuable lesson for us B2B marketers to keep in mind. It's like, hey, we don't have to do the same boring things. We can look at other really valuable, you know, really exciting examples outside of the industry. And then you also said um, something that kind of talking about like connecting the dots and timing. And I think relevancy is so important because if you're talking about something that happened six months ago, is it still relevant? Is it going to be funny? Is it going to have the same impact? Maybe, maybe not. And a big part of that is being able to be in an environment, like you just said, where your leadership is like, hey, you know, you want to go against grain, you want to rub, ruffle some feathers, talk about things that may be a little, you know, going against the, the grain, um, because it's funny, because it's relevant, because it matters now, that is huge. And I remember um, being in, in in social media teams prior to having my business, and um, we wanted to take advantage of those social moments that happened in the in the world. And we had to go through legal, and then legal had to go to this person, and then we had to. By the time we got the approval, it was like done. It's gone. It's passed. We missed it. Moving on, right? But so you bring up some really valuable points. Um, what do you think has been the, the you know, sort of the, what do you think is the recipe needed for a leadership team to be like, you know what, Tim, you want to create this content, go for it. We're, we're going to support you on it. You're not going to get in trouble if you say things, you know, what do you think needs to happen? You meant, you talked a little bit about that earlier about a leader that needs to get it. But there's obviously more to it than that because you can get it, but you may not be in the right company or the right mindset to enable that. So beyond just getting it, what do you think is the recipe that allows you to thrive as a content creator in your day job? 
I think open communication is also a big one. Um, if you're, you have a relationship with your execs or, or not, just if you, if you think something's a little bit outside of the realm of what you, if you're questioning it, basically, like if you're questioning if someone's going to get mad, ask them. They might say, oh, thanks for asking me. Or sometimes they may say no. So you do have to kind of play that line. Um, but you over time, you can kind of figure out what's the best way. Um, but I think that open communication is really good. Like, or you do post it or you put the content out. And then you, one, will see the the reaction from people, your buyers, right? Maybe it's your, your prospects, maybe it's not. But you'll see the reaction. And that's actually usually a better indicator of what or why they're your your boss your company's going against maybe they're just going against it because that's how they think and they don't understand it from the buyer's perspective um but also you know if you do put it out there then you can still have the open communication hey i just posted this what do you think about this right and you can kind of play the game there um i, th I think the open communication is really important and, and just if you, I think people just underestimate asking and talking to your leadership, your boss. They're people are usually open. That's why they're a leader. That's why they're your boss. That's why they're there in the position that they are. Did you have like at what point did you have the I don't know quote unquote formal conversation with your boss or leadership about Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna push the envelope here. Uh so I didn't. I went the different route. So I actually uh, didn't, I posted it. And then actually my, my CEO uh, called me and he asked, um, he basically asked like, I, what I did is I put out a bunch, I, I basically just laid out all our data. It wasn't going against our grain of like what we believe in, but it was our data that people in our strategy, and I talked about like the strategy that people could actually steal, right? Like a competitor is actually commented on it. And he was kind of, he didn't, he wasn't mad about it. He was asking. So he called me and then we were just, he was just asking, like, he was very open about it, but he was just asking, what do you think? Like, we just put, you just put all our data out there. Our competitors just commented on it. Is that good? Is that bad? Like he was actually being, just asking. He wasn't sure, but he was asking. Then we just had the conversation. And at the end, he was like, you know, you're right. And then we just did it. So I didn't really have to have the open comment the conversation and just like my luckily I have leadership. I have a team that is very open to all that stuff. Um, and they're trying to push the envelope too. The cool thing is though, I will say my content and the way I do it has pushed them to push more too. Mm -hmm. So I think that was just like an interesting um, thing that happened. That I didn't realize what happened. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk, uh, let's talk skill sets. And I want to talk about that in two ways. One is skill sets needed as the creator and then skill sets needed as the marketing leader that is either managing creatives or the partnerships with creators. Um, now, before I go there, I want to, I wrote something down in the beginning of the conversation. Do you believe there's a difference? And if so, what uh, between influencers and creators? Like, do you have a different definition for those two? Uh, it's all definitions, but I mean, yes, because influencers in the minds of most people, um, have a, a following on social or 
people know of the name. Maybe not a lot of people, but some people, right? There's a lot of content creators that just create content. And, may, and some people define that as just people that write blogs, people that just do content marketing, and that's just they're uh, setting up things rather than having the influence. Um, the definition is very, very broad both ways, but I would say they're different uh, because the influencer typically has more influence in that sense. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I ask because everyone's got a different definition. Uh, in my mind, the way I sort of frame it is I look at, I think of influencers as anybody that can have influence on the audience totally does not mean they have a following per se, or that they're a creator, like whatever. Um, let's assume you're in the med device space. You might be a, a really innovative CEO or really innovative, you know, VP of R and D that people just know like, wow, this person has done a lot. And if they say something, I'm going to listen, right. Even if they say something once every two years or whatever, um, or, and that there's also internal influencers, et cetera, but then creators are, potentially influencers that happen to also create content. That's sort of how I, again, that's my definition. I'm curious about other people's because they're none of them are right or wrong. So I was just curious on that. Yeah. I think there's so many definitions. I, yeah. I, mean, I think yours is right. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't say mine's right. I, don't, I actually don't even know. <laughs> well, and it's, I think this is an interesting sidebar because um, yeah, you know, we've noticed if you're on LinkedIn, you know, and if you're not, what are you doing? Do you even have a job? Right. Um, but we've noticed uh, in the past few this quarter alone, some major big players moving over to other companies with the title of, you know, content creator or chief evangelist or so even Udi Lettergore, who we mentioned earlier, went from CMO to now chief evangelist which I, now we don't really know what a chief evangelist is or does. We can kind of guess. I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be doing a lot more talking engagements and content and all of that, you know, evangelism. Um, what do you think, it, like, do you see this really taking hold in, uh, in other companies as far as like, okay, we need to hire a chief evangelist. We need to hire a content creator. Like, do you see this being a trend in B2B or do you think this is just like, an edge case where a few companies are latching on to this idea. What's your take on it? So I think it is trending in the sense there are more companies doing it, thinking about it. I think there's also more people that have uh, followers on LinkedIn, especially than ever before. I don't think it's going to be mainstream in the next year, two years. I think that'll take time. It's becoming bigger. It's just what I'm also seeing is a lot of these creators and influencers start their own companies. So there's become, there's going to be less of them too. Uh, so, but then there is that other trend and I don't know, I don't know much about this. I think some of it's hodge, like really weird, but this advisor role thing that people are, playing, <laughs> I know, I don't understand. I think I mean, how many companies can you possibly advise? Let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just an influencer play. I know some do get like I know I'm pretty sure Dave Gerhart he is like and he's made it very clear I have three, and I'm pretty sure he gets like a percent. I don't know what he gets cost right right cost, but there is some. But there's that trend of the advisor role. But I think it's just a influencer play, and that's fair. Yeah. That's fine. I think it's an okay way to do it. Uh, but I do think there's becoming there's going to be less of them because a lot of people are just think, thinking about like their 
one person business. I think that's a huge trend too. I don't know if it's going to be mainstream in the next two years. Maybe once people actually start seeing it more, I think the ones that do it will win though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one other quick follow before we get to skill sets, cause I know you want to, we need to get to skill set here and, and you had a really good question, Mike. Um, LinkedIn, the landscape has changed pretty dramatically, I would say, even from 22 to 23. And we're, we're still, we're still Friday, you know, we're still January here. We're getting close to the end of the month and, and getting into February, but I feel it. Um, I have not been at, you know, I, I think a lot of people, you hear rumblings, oh, the algorithm, this algorithm, that, da, da, da. But then you start seeing some bigger players, which I saw today in my feed of saying, hey, you know, the landscape is changing here. A lot less um, numbers, a lot less impressions. People are seeing this content. Like the shelf life of a post is changing. I don't know if LinkedIn has ever really made their algorithm, the details of their algorithm public. I don't think so. Um, but have you been feeling the, the change of landscape on LinkedIn? And if so, what do you recommend for people that are, you know, thinking about starting their personal brand or, or already have an established personal brand, but are now impacted by this change in landscape? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Didn't think about this a lot, actually definitely has changed. I mean, it's been changing probably since last year, midway through the year. There's a, there's a definitely a, a, a big spot where you'd get, you know, and I'm just throwing out numbers here, but you get like hundred engagements and then like, it just went down to 50 and then like, you'd see like hundred, but then like 50, it'd be the normal again. The, this year it is changing even more. I've noticed that the, the three thing, there's two things probably that I'm finding that work pretty well. Uh, one is actually posting twice a day. Hmm. Uh, one in the morning, one at night. I've seen Nick Bennett has definitely been doing this. I've you know, talked to him a little bit about it. Uh, I've seen some other creators do it too. You just get it. There was always like this thought. I've, I think I've saw it in like a report one time, but you can only do like once a day or you get your reach hampered. I started posting twice a day and I saw the diff a different outcome there. So mm. I thought, I've actually seen that too. I haven't stuck to it. I haven't, uh, what I was doing for maybe like a week in, I just couldn't support it, but I was doing three times a day. So I would do 7 a.m., noon, and like 5 p.m. And it would be different. Like my yeah. morning one would be like a tactical, like strategic thing. My afternoon one was just some random like social thing. And then uh, my evening one was, I don't remember what, but I kind of broke it out that way. And I did see a pretty significant spike for that week. I just couldn't keep that going. I don't, I don't got that kind of time. <laughs> That's tough. Two is tough. Three. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I think that one's, that one's going to keep playing. Uh, mm. stops. I don't know if people are going to do four. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I'm noticing, and this has been like this, but I think a lot of people sleep on it is comments. Mm. Commenting. Um, you can actually get a lot of engagements, views, followers from commenting, not the classic, like great work or that's cool, but either a different point of view on it yeah, or against it, whatever that post is. Uh, I think there's actually a huge opportunity there. And even just that one-to-one, -one, um, that one-to-one -one comments, right? You can just build those relationships there and then like, they'll maybe like see your posts, whatever that is. 
the, I think the comments are a huge opportunity for a lot of people, especially early on. You can also just learn a lot from them. Yeah. And even just something I've tried a couple times is more than one po- comment on a post. Hmm. You actually see, because like, you know, if you're going through the feed, you only see one comment under it. And that's how like people see it. I'll do like three different things that are different and I'll see one just get a lot more engagement. So I don't know. I don't know if that's something that was just anecdotal, but testing like three in in some cases, and it's kind of interesting to see which ones people like. Yeah. I feel like we can probably go down a bit of a rabbit hole. I know there's like a million other questions I want to chat with you about, but let's get to skill set here because we, we promised that we would, um, keep you at a, at a good time and, and also make this really valuable for our listeners. So we talked really heavily on mindsets. I love this conversation that we went into a little bit of the, the nuances and things and mechanics of LinkedIn and posting, but let's talk skill set. Mike, you had a really good question on skill set. Can you, do you remember what it is? now? <laughs> I mean, it was just, I was just leading us in, but I guess the, uh, let's start from uh, you as a creator, from the things you've learned what are the critical skill sets that somebody needs to to build that muscle, if you will? Yeah. So I think there are exercises. Skills. Do they need to do? Yeah, yeah. I think you can. I think you can learn them over time too. Um, and they're they're a little bit high level, but I think they that's what how it's done is like one being consistent. I mean, you you just need to be. And it really does not have to be every day. It can be long. It has to be long term consistency. That's how you're going to win. But within that, you need to be like a critical thinker. You need to uh, react to feedback, right? You need, like, if you put a post out there and you get a, you get nothing, you get crickets. How do you look at that and say, what did I do wrong? Did I look at, was the first line wrong? Was that too long, too short? Should I do a video? Should I not do a video? What does that look like, right? You need to react to what is going on and then what, and if it did work, how do you you know, do more of that, but in like a different format, how do you, how do you do that? Right. Um, so there's like a critical thinking part, but also just like a, taking that feedback. Uh, the other part is, I don't even know how you describe that, but it is like finding ideas and like connecting the dots. Um, there's tons of ways you can find ideas. It's just, how do you, how do you figure out how, how do you figure out to get tons of ideas? Cause you're going to, that's what happens, right? Is you run out of ideas. You don't really run out of ideas. You just think too much and you're like, oh, that's a bad idea. But really you need to figure out how you're going to get all those ideas. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You can go on LinkedIn, go through the comment sections. You can join like a, a Facebook group or like a, a Slack group. Yeah. yeah. Tons of content there. Uh, even like you mentioned, uh, Umi, go on, gong. Listen to your sales calls. I mean, you'll get some tons of content right there. But like... How, it's there's like that skill of figuring out where to get content and ideas and or figuring out where to get ideas so you can create content. Yeah. And I think the skill set there is or I guess the mindset there is everything can be content, right? Everything is content. That's yeah. a little bit of the mindset that allows you to have that skill of creating it. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Do you have any particular framework that you use in, in terms of iterating on concepts or anything like that? Um, yeah, I would say 
I there's like the the common ones I, I usually do is I'll take like the idea and then I'll I'll try to figure out like which way it's gonna work best. So if it's uh all right, here's the four things that you should do to do this, or is it uh maybe it's just a rant, right? Maybe it's just paragraphs on how this like a story, more of a story, I guess. Um, a story of how you how you do this. You can a lot of times you can take the idea, you can do a story about it. You can also do a list of like seven ways to do that. You can also do here's the story of how we did this or how we failed at this. You can also do the reverse. So a lot of times I'll talk about uh, marketing and sales working together and what that why that's good. Reverse it. What happens when marketing and sales don't work together? There's there's definitely a skill in uh, taking an idea and figuring out tons of ways to do it because like like I said earlier. A lot of people say the same things. You're going to say the same thing over. You can't just come up with brand new ideas all the time. It's all about how you take an idea and actually repurpose it, re reword it. Because actually, if you reword it or, you, or if it's a story versus a listicle, you can actually see different uh, reactions. You can see different ways people actually consume the content. Similar to like a podcast versus video, but like how you actually tell the story or tell the why they should do this. This is not totally a, a skill per se, but I'm wondering if you need, uh, if you personally need some sort of um, ideal environment to be in or state to be in, in order to create content, meaning like, are you going to a coffee shop? Are you um, going to a, a I don't know where, wherever you might go or like, you know, is, is there an ideal place mental or physical that you need to be in to create content? No, but there's like a process, I guess. Okay. Um, a lot of times my ideas come when I'm not thinking about ideas, like everyone you know, in the shower, at the gym, walking the dog, whatever it is. And I'll write, I, I put it in my phone. I, I use that. My Apple notes is like, the best thing I've ever seen. It's the best free, like easy thing to use ever. Tons of notes in there. And then as I either look through the notes or if a note or an idea will come up again, I'll start thinking about, all right, how do I, you know, write about it? How do I make a video about it? Whatever that might look and make like a, either a summary or think about it just in my head. And I'll just start making notes on my notes app. And then a lot of the times I'll get away from it. So like I'll either sleep on it or, uh, so like, say I had the idea today and I started writing about it. A lot of my ideas for that idea actually will come when I'm working out in the morning the next day, after I sleep, after I'm walking the dog, something like that. And then uh, it just, it becomes better because I'll start thinking about the actual post or the video that I created and things that would have been better that I add in or take out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, let, let's take it. Uh, um, take the like the marketing leader view the corporate view of this what skill sets does a marketing leader or a founder whatever need to have to activate against this um influencer creator trend if you will yeah i think i think i would say it it really is more of a mindset but it is a skill in the sense of thinking how it plays into the overall marketing and sales uh, alignment and budget and uh, your goals. 
uh, because it's not going to be a, it can't be a separate line where it's attributable to revenue. It's usually you, that can happen. I'm not, you know, that can happen, but usually it's how it plays into the other things, right? How, how you, how sales is starting to hear people talk about your content, how someone in, in, you know, even just going through gong, you start seeing those, uh, words that from this influencer or that type of things, or just looking on those posts and looking for the, who's engaging with it. It's just, so it's really having that mindset of how is the influencer, the person we hired or the person we're creating content with getting in front of our buyers, people that are engaging, commenting, liking, and even not liking how, how are we getting in front of our brand with that? So it's, it really is more of a mindset, but the skill is understanding how it works into the whole rather than just this one line item. I completely agree. Maybe if we can dive into that a little bit more in terms of how does somebody um, connect the dots, if you will, between personal brands and the corporate brand? Like how does somebody turn those personal one-to-one -one relationships that are built and turn that into affinity for the brand? Yeah. For the corporate brand. So it's, so let's say for me, I work at Directive. I, I'm trying to think if there is, I don't think I've ever mentioned Directive in my content ever. That's just not how I, I don't, I'm very bad at sales. I'm very bad at pushing things. It's just not my thing. But my LinkedIn headline says marketing director at Directive. So over time, when I start, as the people start seeing that, they do tie the brand to that. I do get people that say, what do you even do? I don't even understand what you do. I don't even understand where you work. Cause I, I don't like to talk about directive and that's kind of my play. I don't want to, I'm playing long-term play here. Um, so th there's, so from like, if you work at the company, there's that, right. But then there's also, how do you, people, a lot of people will do it where like even Clary, yeah, Devin Reed and Kyle Coleman, they're probably on like all their webinars because people know their faces. Right. And it's an easy way to get people to the webinars. And that's where and I've never been to one of their webinars, but maybe that's how they sell it or that's how they uh, get people to understand the Clary brand. Um, if you're working with an influencer or creating content with them from there, you got to be creative in how you do it. Right. Maybe it is a webinar. Maybe it's just like that's the subject matter expert or you create some sort of guide or content that's based off of that person's learning. like. Uh, Gaetano Donardi, he did something for Chili Piper and it was like a blog post of the 20, I forgot what it was, but. 23, I saw that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then he posted about it on his LinkedIn. So there was a tie there because he created the content, but he was also, I'm sure Chili Piper told him to post it. Maybe not, but he wanted to post it because that to him, there was a value there too. So there's also like, how do you show the value of both sides? Um, and then the, if you just tie the brand to it you just got to tie it into a non-salesy way and then it'll come back you do have to play long-term play you there's all that um it's just really hard in b2b because in b2c yeah you can do like a 20 percent off code and that's easy b2b it's different right you're selling million dollar products or you know it's 20k product it's a little different and you don't want to give out promo code there's just not gonna work you yeah. do see that a little bit. I mean, I've seen, like, I think I've seen Nick Bennett do some of that stuff here and there, but yeah. Um, I'm curious, the flip side of that equation to a certain extent is, okay, let's assume you go the 
well, I guess it doesn't matter whether these are external influencers that you sort of tie your future to, quote unquote, or you bring people in house and they leave, or you're in, or that external person decides, you know what, I can make more money elsewhere, or I can, or I'm just going to go do my own thing, whatever it is, uh, and that that connection disappears. Um, how do you address that? Truthfully, it's tough, right? If you are relying on that one person. Now, I'm thinking of someone I want to say because I don't know how they, that company feels, but I'm sure we can guess it here too. But there's one person that went to another company and they got a bunch of pub, like LinkedIn publicity from that person leaving. That person was also like the face of that brand and they left. Um, I bet you there's still obviously people that are going to associate the what was going on but now people they, they don't have that face of the brand anymore that's talking about it consistently i don't know what they're gonna do i don't think they've hired anyone i think they just lost that kind of brand part right the other side of it sorry go ahead i was gonna say do you think that residual um right. i want to call that but like residual brand affinity that even though this, hey, this person was the face of this company, now they've left. Do you think that that still sticks in people's mind? Like, oh, you know what? I had really good feelings about this company, even though this person is not there. Do you think that there's still some residual positive stuff that comes out of that? A hundred percent. I mean, it's not like someone leaving is just going to, unless they really bash them or something, it's not going to like give them a bad reputation because they left. People know people just go to other companies for whatever reason. Like even an example of Devin Reed, who was at Gong, now at Clary, I still think of him at Gong. I mean, right. I know people at Clary, but like, I still think of like that, that part there too. I also have seen companies where they, they've created videos, content with that. I don't know the logistics on it, I'm, but like you can still use the content on that. Mm, yeah. People where... If you have a good relationship with them, this isn't this isn't how it worked with Devin Reed, but versus Gong, they're both sales and like there's they're pro they probably could do a webinar, do something that ties it back together. Um, yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point about this idea of like you've created and invested in your content creators content for your company, if that makes sense to everybody here on the call. And now this person has left. What do you do with that library of, let's say, videos or podcasts, or um, maybe it's a commercial, maybe it's employer brand videos that talking about, hey, come join our company. And here's, you know, Billy Bob and Jimmy John, and now they're no longer here. Do you still use that content? Is that still valuable? Is that still relevant? And that is, um, you know, I think a question that we faced at Proofpoint, because we've had a little bit of employee churn, um, most of it has been positive. Some of it has been, you know, not the best of, uh, of circumstances. And we have content with those people. What do we do with it? Right. And I think that's a big I don't know that I have an answer. I'm not necessarily asking if you do as well, but it, it is a question. I mean, actually, no, I am asking, do you have an answer? <laughs> <laughs> I think it does depend, right? Um, obviously, if there was like a fallout, maybe maybe not, right? Maybe right. they won't want it. I think if there wasn't, if there was like a good relationship when they left, if I was the company, 
depending on where they went, depending on that relationship, I would try to keep the ties in some way. Maybe it's having them on your podcast. Maybe it's doing a, a some sort of content with them again, because they'll, they'll still want to, you know, utilize your brand if it's, you know, a decent enough brand to get more followers for them or get more brand affinity for them. Uh, as long as you have that good relationship, I think there is ways to tie it back. Now, if it's like old videos, if the content's, you know, past its time, like obviously just right. put, it, put it away, but you could just ask that person. I think it, it really does depend on like the influence that person has too. Um, right. If they don't, maybe it's just not worth it. But if they do have big influence and you know that actually has, you know, some sort of revenue tying back to it, you can ask them. Right. Even right. to be an advisor. It's actually yeah. really interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's really interesting what you're bringing up because uh, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, we put in a, a pretty big effort to uh, have positive offboarding experiences for people who are leaving. And I think if we think about this as, okay, what is a, what is a positive creator offboarding look like? Mm. Right. And how do you then continue some of these ties? Like you said, like if you have a podcast, do you say, Hey, you want to like, do you want to co-host a show once a quarter? Like, mm. how do you continue some of that? Now, obviously there might be some contractual issues. They also have to be thought through, but uh, I do, uh, I do think it's really interesting for people to think about what, what is, what does an effective creator offboarding look like? Because it's going to happen inevitably. Yeah. Oh, nobody stays forever, either internally or externally. All right. Tim, welcome back. So for anybody watching, uh, you'll see that all of a sudden I'm in a different location. Tim's got different, a different T-shirt on and Gabby's got a different haircut. So that is because we didn't have enough time to wrap up the interview last time. And lo and behold, almost a month later, here we are. So... Tim, welcome back uh, on the back of uh, B2BMX recently, mm -hmm. uh, which maybe we'll talk about. Maybe we won't since there's some content created there. But where we left off, I think we were uh, go. We're talking about creators and internal influencers and how that can work within a company from a growth perspective, et cetera. And... Um, we were talking about tools. We were starting to talk about tools. The tools of the trade of the of the of the creator. So modern day creator. There you go. Uh, what are your favorite tools as a creator? Because you put a lot of content out there. Yeah, I mean, so it's not be the best answer because I'm very simple, very very simple. I actually bought like a face, fancy camera. I have a GoPro, but I just use the phone. I mean, it's, it's a better process for me. And actually the, the app I used for video editing, is called CapCut. It's on the phone too. You can use it on your laptop. And I've used that very, maybe like two times. Um, but usually it's all through the phone. Um, Apple, I, so I have an Apple iPhone, but like a notes app is another one. I have all my ideas in there. Uh, I would say those are actually the three biggest tools. Now we can expand that, right? So there is other tools I use to find content. Um, so like one big one is, uh, Internally, for I listen to a lot of sales calls, and we use Gong for that. So I'll use, I'll listen to that on my phone all the time, like a pod, like I would a podcast, and I actually get a lot of ideas from that. Um, I guess another one would be this like little tripod. Really quick, I, I, before I forget, I guess um, when you're listening to those calls, are you are there specific prompts or something that or not prompts, but uh, 
keywords you're listening for? Like, how do you, because again, if some, if somebody's using Gong or any other tool that can record calls, I mean, there's hours upon hours upon hours of content you could listen to. How do you streamline that? What do you, what are you searching for? For me, so there is some things I'll look for on keywords. Uh, it might be a, around a certain topic or I have like um, triggers so I can find where the, so if someone mentions like a podcast or uh, my name or um, a certain person, I will listen to those because they're, they're usually different conversations based on lead source. Um, but a lot of times I'm at, for us, at least I'm, I'm actually, there's actually one AE I'll listen to the most because I feel like they have the best conversations. So I actually cherry pick those kind of conversations. I'll also look for companies that I either know of or I think would be the most interesting conversations because so we're because we're a marketing agency. If I find a brand that I know is spending a lot, that's more interesting to me because there's a different dynamic there and they might have a different conversation that I can hear um, certain things over. Um, truthfully, I do listen to a lot. So and I think it's actually beneficial for me because I start gathering like three or four type of things I hear everyone talk about. And, you know, don't get me wrong, like I'm just listening to like I would a podcast so I can listen to a lot and still work out, walk, walk the dog or work. And I'll just like sometimes I'll pick up on things. Um, but I do use keywords. I'll, I, I would say the big thing is cherry picking the conversations that I see that I want to talk to talk about. I'm, I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but you mentioned you cherry pick based on one specific AE because he or she has the best conversations. Can you shed a little bit more light on that? What, what about their conversations make them the best? Uh, so this person, he actually came from the operations side. So he's very, very knowledgeable, uh, in, in his, his conversations, he's not, he's not a born salesperson. Like he came from operations and now he's into a, you can call it like a sales engineer role, but he's usually paired with an AE. So if he's on a conversation, I know they're gonna have more, uh, like actual conversations rather than a sales call. Not to say the other AEs do that too. They do, but not the in depth that he can ask the questions and know what they're talking about. Cause he was in like their same role, like as an in-house marketer. Uh, so I find I find that I get more out of that because he asked the right questions. Nice. Yeah. You know, everyone has an AE or, or salesperson that's just better the questions, yep. right? And that's what yep, I think. For sure. Cherry pick it. And I interrupted you. I think you were showing us a tripod or oh. something. Yeah, and you don't need it, but it's just another tool. Uh, it's just for the phone. Mm -hmm. So I can put it anywhere. It's got this little attachment. So, and it even Is has a like, magnet on the back, too. Let's see. Is that, sorry? Is that, is that a oh, magnet on the back? No, it's just the scroll so you can like oh. switch it on. But I find that easy. Use your desk and record. Love Very it. simple. You don't need much. Well, and Tim, let's talk about tool, tools, but also props, because I think that um, you do a really good job of, of adding props and different elements to your content, specifically your video content, that helps tell the story. So kind of walk us through that. How did you think about, okay, I need to start cutting fruit or I need to wear a different hat or a different outfit or this and that, the other, right? How did that come about? And, and I'm assuming these are all things you have lying around in the house, right? You're not, you're not going to the, to the costume store and buying things. It's just whatever you have. Yeah. I'm very interested in, as I've been going down the rabbit hole of videos, I've been very interested in, in like how the big creators do it. Like there's, there's some commonalities on like the, the screens or like the things that keep you uh, engaged with the video. 
So like the fruit, fruit one, I'll cut fruit and I'll like talk about a certain thing. I got that because I was watching uh, some TikTok videos or I think it was on Instagram actually. And someone was cooking and telling a story at the same time. Mm -hmm. They were just getting a lot of engagement. And I found myself just watching because I was watching them cook, but also listening at the same time. And I found it very, very engaging. So as I started doing that, I started getting people commenting just about the fruit. And like, then they would hear the, the conversation. So like, I found that, you know, their, the engagement would just be a little different. So I started playing around with things like that. Yeah. Um, I'll also do, you know, I've done things where I'll have like a Rubik's cube. And it's just, again, it's like the psychology thing, but it's like this uh, pattern interrupt, like in the video and I like put it right, you know, close to it, or it's almost like miss the camera. And it's like this, it's um, keeping the viewer engaged. Yeah. All things are lying around, uh, but the co costumes, it's just different. I usually just wear a vest and a hat for sales or something like that. That's just the way of me portraying, you know, two different people. I, I tend to do that uh, rather than like having someone else be the person. I just, right. it's just easier for me. And I, I love those videos when you do, when you do that, when you're like, you know, you're, you're the salesperson and then the marketing person. And, and I love how you, um, it, almost in a stereotypical way, you know, make, create a, a caricature of those people, mm -hmm. of those roles. And I think you do that re really well. And I remember watching, that was how I first got introduced to on LinkedIn is I saw one of your videos about, it was like a, a marketing guy talking to a sales guy and, and the, just the dynamic of that was hilarious. And the fact that it's the same person, right? It's you but portraying these two caricatures in a very believable and, um, and just funny way was, was, was just brilliant. And I think that's, that's what, uh, that's how I first got introduced to you on LinkedIn. Um, you know, and the, this idea of cutting fruit or watching people cook something, as I was thinking, it's like, you're almost touching on multiple senses, right? There's the auditory part of like listening to somebody speak, but then the visual part of watching somebody do something very meticulous or very like um, repetitive, you know, cutting fruit, cooking, stirring a pot. It's very repetitive. So you almost get drawn into that. But then I also think there's probably a subconscious level, level, level where people are, oh, wow, I wonder what he's cooking, or I wonder what that fruit tastes like, or I wonder what they're going to make, right? So you're kind of hitting on multiple um, senses, like a, a multi-sensory experience through video, which is, I don't know if that's what you were intending to do, but it seems like it is something that we got to try out. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I definitely didn't intend to do that, um, but it seems, I, I, I know what you're talking about because I do see that kind of part. I also think it's just like a lot of people, like, this sounds weird, I guess, but if I if someone's cutting fruit in your feed, I almost want them to associate that with me, hmm. right? It's kind of like your brand, not really your brand, but like, I don't know if anyone else doing it. So I'm hoping you know, if they start seeing that, like, oh, okay, that's Tim. So it's like an easy way to... Uh, make a path of like right. who this person is. So it's like that branding, but in a different way. Yeah. You know what? It just made me think about, do you remember this was years ago now, but when Rand Fishkin was still at Moz, he used to do these whiteboard Fridays. Yep. Yep. It's like that, right? Like he was the, there are plenty of people that even back then they were putting out videos. He was not the first, but his whiteboard Fridays, when he was actually, you know, writing stuff out on the whiteboard as he was talking I believe he was the only one doing that or at least the first one. And that became sort of the brand, right? Like whiteboard Fridays. Oh, that's Rand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's a really great, um, 
uh, a tactic because I think a lot of uh, a, a lot of celebrities, a lot of influencers, a lot of people do that in other ways. You know, um, I think think about content in the journals, you know, journalistic journalistic setting. People that are, have, um, uh, you know, what am I what am I trying to say, Mike? The people that are in the camera that do the news, news reporters. That's the word, <laughs> news reporters. <laughs> News reporters, TV anchors. It's Friday, clearly. It's Friday. I don't watch the news. I get all my news on LinkedIn from from Tim's weekly news roundup. I don't. I don't watch. Um, So anyway, news reporters, TV anchors. You know, they have maybe a a color that they always wear, or a Mm. or a piece of jewelry that they always wear, or a a way that in which their mic. You know, like uh, anyway, things things that you associate with that person. And that that is a great way to build a brand, you know, not only through um, through the content itself, but through other uh, p- let's call them props or paraphernalia that you bring into your content that then associates you and that thing. Um, so I don't know whether whether or not that was conscious, uh, Tim. It's a great idea and it's a great tactic, and I think that um, we will probably start seeing more content creators. Bring, use paraphernalia and props and items so that they create this deeper association with their brand. I think that's a great, great thing we should be looking for. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think you're right. Cause I think it's just like, and I almost think I actually, this is not like the same thing, but I actually also find it easier to talk about things instead of having to do a skit. Cause truthfully they, they take longer, right? right now I can just take a fruit and cut it and talk about a thing. It can, it can have like an engaging aspect to it instead of me just sitting there, you know, talking head yeah, or having to do a skit, which takes a lot longer. So it's almost easier in that sense to talk yeah. about certain things. Um, and that's, I think that's why I really did it. It was just an engaging way, but also easier instead of having to like do a whole skit. Cause I could do the same thing but in a skit form, but just, it would just take longer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I, I think it's a smart, uh, a, very subliminal, smart tactic that is also part of creating recognition and uh, and 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 interest for your audience for you. So, very kudos to you. I love that idea. Um, all right. Well, I think we need to talk about results because here on the Master Marketer Show, we talk mindsets, skill sets, tool sets. Now we want to hear the results, Tim. So, tell us of this entire journey that you've taken for yourself and for your career in terms of content creation and making that part of um, what you do at work, what have been some of the highlights, some of the results that you've been able to, uh, to achieve for yourself? Yeah. So in terms of like tangible results, right? So there's, I can, I can directly attribute over 500,000 in uh, revenue for directive and then pipelines, I think it's over a million now directly attribute. And when I say that, it's actually kind of interesting because I'm marketing the marketers. I've had someone DM me. Here's how I came to directive. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like me. And then it was this. And then it was this. So it's very interesting. You know, marketing the marketers is cool because you can kind of get those insights. Not everyone can really get those insights. Uh, the other one was from, you know, so the other deal that was from the, how did you hear about us on our field? The other things I can't, there's, I can't really track like, you know, things that, I just like you can't track. I know there's like talks I can hear about in Gong or something like that, but at the very least, I have those directly attributed. Yeah. I want I do want to talk about another side like 
benefit, uh, just specific to this past week at B2B SMX, people noticing me from the content that I didn't think I would ever talk to, like even customers wow. of ours that would, would say like, hey, I really want to take a picture of me. That kind of stuff, even though maybe it's not directly attributed to a revenue number right now, there is a huge benefit to that, to getting the brand name out there um, that I can't really you know, put a number on, but like you can just feel there's a difference there. Yeah. I mean, what was that like? Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, we, we, we mentioned earlier that you're coming off the heels of B2B, B2B SMX. Um, and now you're saying that people that you didn't think would come up to you or that you maybe, you know, people that you admire or that you respect are like coming up to you like, Hey, let's take a photo. What was that like? What was it? Did you feel like a celebrity? Was that, was that something you were expecting in your career? Um, and you mentioned that that's directly attributable to this idea of creating content, you know, five years ago, Tim, 10 years ago, Tim, did you ever think that you would be in this position today? Yes and no. I've been trying things like this for years. I would always quit though after a month. I mean, I, I have YouTube videos out there from 2014 for lacrosse when I played sports. I just quit after a month. I tried doing LinkedIn, you know, four years ago, quit after a month, tried again, quit after a month. I have this kind of track record of doing that. Luckily, I stuck with it this time. Um, the feeling, I'm very weird with taking compliments. So at first, I'm like very like awkward. But then I just kind of I tried to embrace it, you know, and just like, you know, just talk. I'm obviously just a person. Um, the coolest thing for me, if I went to this kind of event and I didn't know anyone, for me to just come up to someone and say hi. Mm -hmm. It's just not my thing. I, I, but because either I met them online, I was able to, I feel like I know them. So I was able to just say, right. or just talk to them. Or if people say, Ew, that's crazy to me for me to actually have a conversation with them. There's also a point, and this is not just from BD last year, that I know I've actually tried to for mm. a long time, couldn't get, you know, but now they're like, my videos, or they know who I am. It's a lot easier that, uh, <laughs> than it was in the past. This mind-blowing thing that I just, <laughs> really is. Well, it's, it's, um, I mean, one of the, so clearly one of the results for you is this idea of breaking down these barriers that may or may not exist, um, when it comes to networking, which I think is a real thing that a lot of people experience. I will say from personal experience, when Mike, I feel you, know, Tim, I'm the same way, <laughs> right. Prior to pandemic, Mike and I used to be much more active in going to events and, and earlier in our careers, Mike especially attended a lot of uh, networking events and big conferences, and um, we both kind of sucked at at meeting people and talking to people. And like, you know, you you end up what what I feel ends up happening is if you go to an event with your colleagues, let's just say, then everyone kind of migrates in little groups and little like amoebas, right? I'm gonna stay with my people here. You're gonna stay with your people here, and we're not gonna mix. And I think the beauty. Of, and now granted, we haven't been to a conference since pandemic time, so I can't speak from firsthand knowledge, 
but vicariously from you, I think what's happening and what, what we're seeing more of on LinkedIn is the people that really do um, lean into this idea of creating content, um, whether that's on a big scale or even just on a smaller scale, but are doing it consistently, they're able, they're much better able to sort of break down these walls and, and, and sort of walk into a place and feel like, oh, everyone knows my name, right? You're walking into Cheers, everyone knows your name. Why? Because you've made it so that it's easy for them to know who you are. And like you said earlier, Tim, people are cre- are, are having this feeling of recognition and, and knowledge. Like, oh, I know Tim because I see him and, and I hear what he thinks and I see what he talks about and we're interacting. So it's so I think a big result, uh, paraphrasing from what you're saying here, is that is that it's helping you to create more opportunities to build relationships outside of um, outside of LinkedIn or outside of, you know, your company. Um, it's it's an opportunity for building relationships. Yeah, 100 percent. And I do. I, maybe 10 percent of people knew my name. <laughs> but that 10 percent, I was able to. Like, and then they would they would introduce me to the person they knew. Spiderweb effect. Right. Um, I've you know interacted with that. There is was there L or L, uh, there right. two people that have a huge following on LinkedIn. I knew them, so I was able to talk to them. They're spider web of friends, so it was like that spider web flywheel effect that was. Really- yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I think those are some amazing results. Not only have you been able to drive some significant revenue and pipeline for your company directive you're also driving some real tangible benefits for yourself you know what what however that may might manifest in your career whether that's um something down the road or a company that you decide to build yourself or a side hustle or if it's just you know additional revenue streams through content creation um clearly the the results have been impactful and 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 speak for themselves right I still don't get it. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. I think this is a great case study for people listening that, you know, this this works, right? You got to stick with it. It's hard. It ain't easy. Creator, creating content ain't easy, but um, but the benefits and the results are pretty are pretty significant. So amazing to you, Tim. Keep putting out that content. Keep putting out those videos. I know I love them. That's where I get all my news. I don't. I don't watch uh, news anchors. I just watch Tim Davidson. Everyone. So, yeah, well, let's let's, uh, let's take let's take it now to the lightning round. Let's see if we can try to stump you here, Tim. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. The lightning round is a lot of fun. Whatever comes to mind, blurt it out. Um, all right. First question here, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? At the end of the day, it's more revenue. It's just, it's just, you tie everything to revenue. You just see the table. Got it. What's something new you're looking forward to testing this year? Ooh. You know, it's actually event, like in-person events. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, I've been to like three total. And none of the big ones. So I'm pretty excited to go to a lot more in-person events, a lot 
meet a lot of new, new people. What's a marketing best practice you hate and would like to see disappear? Um, this is not like a best practice, I guess, but saying everything's dead. I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> There's so many things everyone thinks is dead or doesn't work that does. Everything works. It's just you're, it's not working for you. Hmm. Uh, there's so many things out there that you can just say don't work, but someone's making it work. It's just not you. I I, I agree. Um, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? <laughs> this this can change week to week. Um, it's probably <laughs> if you're on LinkedIn, you know this one. It's probably demand generation. Everyone just just likes to compare it to everything. It's so weird. What is your favorite business or marketing book? Uh, that one's got me stumped. Mm. You know what? It's, it's probably Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. I, I remember reading it. This was a while ago. But it's really, and obviously it's not really about the four hour work week, but the, the principles within it were very helpful for me, especially young, uh, as like trying to understand business. What's a favorite tool or platform platform you are loving right now? CapCut, the video editing app, the, the functionality for a free product is unreal. I just can't get enough of it. Amazing. We'll have to check that out, Mike. Um, I just started, I started messing around with it recently, by the way. I've got the four-hour work week sitting behind me, I believe. <laughs> Still there. There you go. Um, okay, last but not least, what is the best marketing advice either you have been given or that you've given to others? Marketing can be simple. Mm. It doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. It can be simple. Love it. Love it. Um, excellent. Tim, that concludes our show. We've loved having you on. This has been, we're so lucky that we had to, we, we had to do this in two takes. We had to do two segments with you because this was such an epic show. Thank you so much for joining us. I know the answer is going to be obvious, but where can our listeners find you and interact with you? Yeah. LinkedIn. Type in Tim Davidson, blue background, got the glasses on. You'll see it. And what's the next uh, uh, event you're heading to so we can see, plant that seed with our audience here? Mm. Uh, blanking on the name now, but, oh, wow, what was it? It's coming up in like May, but I'll be at 99% sure I'll be at Saster slash Dreamforce. Okay. For sure. Got it. Got it. So uh, anyone that's listening, if you want to meet Tim and shake his hand and take a selfie with him, go go to these events. Otherwise, follow him <laughs> on LinkedIn. Uh, watch out for his fruit videos. Tim, thank you so much. This has been a true pleasure and a lot of fun getting to chat with you today. For everyone thank else, you. stay tuned. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of the Master Marketer Show. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. 
make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.